Welcome to the Rogue Tailboard Podcast, where firemen are fired up and minimal is unacceptable. What's going on, guys? January 8th, 2024. It is Monday, and a pretty crappy one if you ask me. This Arctic blast front's coming in. And it's finally reached its way down here to Texas where I'm at. It's very scattered showers with high gusts of winds. And it's just a lovely, you would picture to be a lovely winter day. Add the cold on top of it too. But nothing really new to report. Just been, been life as usual. Great growth. Set some... Some disciplinary goals for myself, been executing those, and it's been playing out rather well. One of them just being a, a daily journal, but in the context of keeping track record of my wake-up times, my meals, my workouts, what they look like, on-duty, off-duty, if I was on-duty, what kind of training, just a good, good journal also started the one-year Bible reading plan and when you are new in faith it can be overwhelming doing that but once you've matured in your walk and you've got good you know contextual or textual understanding of events chronologically and theologically within the Bible it's a good time to revisit that plan and it's just cool what God reveals when you do it. So if you haven't done that, I do recommend you you guys at least try on the one-year Bible study. You'll read a portion of Genesis, read a portion of Matthew, read a portion of Psalms, and read a portion of Proverbs. And that will allot yourself over one year's time span. So obviously with that cool though, the way that broke down in 365, this came to my head too. I was having a conversation the other day with a brother. And uh, it sent me a reel, and it was on Instagram, and there's a bunch of highlighted pages in the Bible, but it all had a simple phrase set into it. It says, do not be afraid. And what was neat about that is the fact that do not be afraid is referred to in the Bible 365 times. You break that down, you hear that number 365, you automatically think 365 days of a year. So it's cool to know that once a day, God tells his children, do not be afraid. So with with New Year's and all that good jazz coming up with you guys and new endeavors potentially or just new beginnings, the word new always brings uncertain change. And actions to back that, but find hope in the fact that God will tell you every day, do not be afraid. Trust in Him. That actually works out pretty well with chapter 4 in James, which is titled, Submit Yourselves to God. In a right relationship with God is essential to spiritual growth. We should not ask for God's blessings just to satisfy our cravings for personal comfort. 
ignoring the fact that seeking our own selfish pleasure is allying ourselves with God's enemies. God wants to give us an abundant life so we can pass it on to others. He blesses us so we can live according to his plan. We can experience the freedom God offers by drawing close to God and asking for his guidance and help. That's a, that's a pretty good assuring statement there, isn't it? You know, a right relationship with God is essential for spiritual growth. Of course, you might want to ask, well, why do I want to grow spiritually to begin with? And I'm going to paraphrase my understanding of spiritual growth, and that's more or less just drawing closer to the one who created you. It's drawing closer to the one who sent his only son to die for all the past sins and future sins of the world. Because our God is a just God and that is the only justifiable sacrifice for mankind, for all of mankind. And you think about that, it's, it's a lot on Jesus and he knew that too though. You know, he is part of the Holy Trinity. And he knew the whole time that he was going to be sacrificed. And this is also why you don't see any more sacrifices being made like there was in the Old Testament. Jesus was the last living sacrifice to make right for our sins. You'll read about it, and if you study about it in the Old Testament, those are just temporary sacrifices that were given for a temporary state that was pleasing to God, but, you know, obviously God sent Jesus to be the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sins. So a right relationship with God is essential to spiritual growth. So, you, I mean, right relationships, guys, that's, that's just being accountable. You know, things that come to my mind is, do we honestly acknowledge Him when we wake up? Do we, do we look for God in our daily lives? I mean, when we're out and about and we unintentionally hydroplane, I'm hearing the rain right now outside and thinking about traveling, you you catch that slick wet puddle you didn't see, you hydroplane, you fishtail a little bit, and um, but you're spared, there's no other cars around, you're able to recorrect your your traction and there's no, no harm, no foul, but it was a close call, right? Well, that's a, that's a blessing from God, he was protecting you on that one. I mean, that was beyond out of your control. If you've never experienced a hydroplane, you'll understand what I'm talking about. If you have, I mean. And that was just one example. But a, a right relationship with God is essential to spiritual growth. That means that we're obedient. A lot that this chapter is going to talk about, too, as it's called, is submit yourselves to God. Well, I know that a bunch of firemen are type A personalities. You know, they're very strong-willed, very proud, and hard chargers, leaders. And it's hard for a leader, authoritative figure to want to be subjected to submission. But if you look at what submissive really means, though, it's, it's conforming yourself to someone else's will or another authority's will. It's also being meek and obedient. And when we learn through our studies with the Bible and with our daily walk and our our church relationship, you'll understand that God's plan is 
a very prosperous one and it has nothing but the best of our intentions at the forefront of his will. And it's, it's tough for some to want to really honor that and acknowledge that. I can't speak for them, but I can speak for when I was a past. I did live a life where I, I, I knew there was a higher power. I knew there was a, a God out there, but I didn't like really know him. And so there's a lot of things that would happen in, in my pre-submissive life to God to where it didn't make sense to me whatsoever. And it angered me or it frustrated me. But then I found peace as I sought God and submitted to his will and just put him first and hoped that he was honored more than I would ever take any kind of credit for. He would like reveal parts of his will for me personally as I would live it out it would it would be that very peaceful gut instinct this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing and he would confirm that through multiple avenues just like God will do for you and so it is essential to have a right relationship with God you know you think about your your family dynamics as a parent and a child you know that parent is going to love that child with everything it has, care for it, nurture it, protect it. When it gets older, it starts to have a little more responsibility. It starts to be able to make decisions on their own. And all we can do is help guide them and help give them wisdom. But we we truly never stop loving them. And that's the thing where God is so great. No matter how many times we've screwed up, no matter how many times we've gotten in trouble, so to say, spit in God's face or whatever the case is, there's no fleshful side of God where he just, he's done with you. He continues to love you. He continues to forgive you. He continues to want to see the best of you where, you know, I don't have a teenager yet. Well, I do, but she doesn't live with me, but I've yet to experience teenage years. Like when I was a teenager and I can only imagine my parents' frustrations during those times. So I totally get where they're like, you know what? I'm done. You go ahead and do your thing. We tried everything we can. You just got to figure this out on your own. You know, that that is potentially normal behavior for parents when they have those rebellious children that just do not seek their wisdom, seek their guidance, and just spit in their face and rebel. But God will not do that. However, if you just choose to live a life without God and acknowledge it, God, I know you're there. I know you're real, but I want nothing to do with you. Yes, it's going to break his heart, but but he loves you and he loves you enough to honor what it is that you want. He will not force himself upon you. And there's all kinds of accounts to that throughout the Bible as well to back up that statement. And that's just a, that's just a little insight right there to the first sentence to open it up right out the gate. You know, a right relationship with God is essential to spiritual growth, you know, and, we should ask for God's blessings just to satisfy our cravings or personal comfort. You know, I call those shallow prayers. Like, God, it'd be really nice if you can bless me financially. I'm having a bind. Well, you know, that, that's it's, it's not necessarily the type of prayers that he, he's wanting out of us. I said, Lord, I know that you've got me through some hardships right now. God, I know that you've got me in some struggle. I know this is a time of adversity. And I can legitimately say, I don't know where this is coming from, but I know that you will get me through this. God, will you help me keep my eyes on you throughout this process? Will you give me the patience 
and the the discipline to endure through this and to learn the lesson that you want me to learn through this, Father, so I can be better suited for you. Those right there, now those are some blessings and some prayers that God hears. He does not hear selfish ambition requests. So moving along, we're going to go ahead and start reading into chapter 4 here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So again, it goes back to what are your intentions? When you send requests to God, what are, what are your true reasons behind that request? Is it like my 12-year-old who pleads and pleads and pleads and begs and begs that I get him a video game? Or does he beg and plead that I help him understand what it's like to be a 12-year-old? Or does he beg and please to help me, to ask me to help him with something that will make him a better person. And so you do not have because you do not ask God. So here again, it's God's letting it be known that we need to come to him with all of our requests. But let's look at what our requests are and the true value of what we're requesting. And this is where you see maturity through your spiritual growth. God, help me understand you more. God, help me see you today. Help me... Help me help you. you know, that, that's kind of the point of what he's talking about here. You know, it says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Again, that's you know, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions, or just covet in general. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to call it covet. And you get upset that you don't have what someone else has. And yes, I know it uses a harsh term here, so you kill. But you react in a negative manner because you don't have that. And that's, again, it's just like a, a selfish child throwing a tantrum because someone's got the toy, they want the toy, but they don't have it. So now they get mad and they try and just steal the toy or cause harm to get the toy. You know, so you, you cause fights. And it all comes just from what what your true desires are. And when you have God guiding you and the Holy Spirit living within you, those will reshape your desires and it'll reprioritize what you think is important or not. Moving on, chapter four, verse four. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enemy or enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's kind of deep right there. I'm going to pause. You adulterous people. It says an allusion, an allusion to covenant unfaithfulness is what that's referring to. You can see Hosea chapter 3, 1 on that. And a definition it gives here is intensely or that the spirit he caused to dwell in us longs jealousy Hmm. It's a 
interesting way of putting it. So you just think about that for a second, you know, like, like I'm doing now. And how does that fit in with, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Remember, Jesus, when he came and lived out his testimony here on earth, he said that he is not of this world. This world is not his kingdom. His kingdom is a far greater power. And the world rejected Christ. So when you become a Christian and Jesus lives in you, the world will reject you as well. I know that sounds harsh, but you just look at 2024. You look at current times. You look at how things are. I know I talked about this in a past episode too, where you, know, you really start to see just a timeline event of things of when we first started slowly taking God out of schools or slowly started taking prayers or you know, national anthems, and then that gained momentum, and it just became a, well, what else can we destroy and and take rid of historically and factually and all this stuff, because this group of X generations, whatever you want to call it, is offended or want to make a change, and they don't care if it's a positive change or negative change, they just want to time stamp on history, and God allowed it. But we're also, excuse me, paying for those consequences at the same time. And you look at, you know, things God asks us not to do. He asks us not to become drunkards. He asks us not to have adultery, you know, multiple partners sleeping or anything to that extent. You know, don't don't fix yourselves on materialistic possessions in a current society where it's all about consuming and who has the most stuff and who has the most expensive stuff because that gives you social status. And God's saying, if that is where your heart is at, I am not there. And he just backs it up again just by saying, therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Pause. Just think about that in your life right now. You got someone in mind that is very arrogant, very prideful, and you know they just always seem to get what they want, but you're kind of reserved. You kind of let things play out. You, you, know, you make observations of what's going down, and you choose not to act that way. And you choose not to give in to the the bashing or the gossip rumor mill or the negativity gripe sessions that occur. And you might get a little ridiculed for it. Or you just say, man, you know, I, that's not my business. I, I have nothing to chime in on that. I have nothing productive to say over this. You know, so-and-so is not even here to defend themselves. I don't understand why we're, we're talking about them this way in their presence. Then I said, oh, are you better than us? Or, you know, you start getting that kind of reaction. You're just like, no, I just, that's not me. I, I just don't engage in that. And so, yes, you made a, made a line in the sand, so to say. And that's just a boundary you're not willing to cross or flirt with. And it doesn't mean that you have any ill wishes on those members of your crew or in life that carry on with that type of behavior. You're just not going to 
engage in it or add fuel to that fire to keep it going, you know, that's, that's something those guys are going to have to work out with within themselves if they have an issue with you wanting to stand up and doing the right thing. That's just one example that comes to mind. But it's very clear, and you see that repeated a lot too throughout God's Word, is He opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You know, again, going back to your requests and your prayers, are you trying to be selfish with your intents and actions, or are you trying to be selfless? And God knows all that. And so He... He will treat accordingly if that makes sense, but he he will not show favor to the prideful ones. In a nutshell, just don't make it about you and all that you do. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Again, that's he wants you to seek him out so you could fully just start to understand who he is and what he can do for you just on a personal, intimate level, one-on-one. And again, you, there in the past too, I felt like I've overcome, or I've been overcome by just a bunch of temptations and, you know, why am I getting tempted with this? Even though I was self or making that personal decision to engage in such activities that um, obviously would not be pleasing to God. And I chose that, but it was, a, it was a vicious cycle I put myself in. And there's a lot of people that put themselves in that vicious cycle because they don't want to resist or they don't want to have a barrier between an unhealthy and unpleasant lifestyle because it's not the cool thing to do. But when you do that, God will actually honor and reward you and he will protect you very well. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pause. Now, he's not telling you to sit there and not have a happy life, or that you cannot be merry and that you just got to be depressed and mourning and turn your joy into gloom. I know that sounds a little odd. But he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's when you know you've done wrong. I mean, that that's exactly how I'm taking this. Just right out of context here. You know, when, when you get upset personally, again, going back to the analogy of making that line in the sand. And you're not going to engage in these gossips and in the the name bastion or whatever the case may be and you kind of get picked on for it you know that's where you just gotta humble yourselves in that manner and god will hear your silent prayers that you cannot verbalize but he knows where your heart's intentions are at and so he just he wants you to just stay humble through him when you when you know you've done wrong you see that and you feel convicted to not continue to repeat that wrong process or that wrong action, you're going to feel worse when you have a fleshful moment and you engage in it. And you're like, crap, I'm, I shouldn't have done that. Then you just you ask God to forgive you. He doesn't care if you've got to ask for forgiveness on the same thing a million times. He wished you wouldn't because like a dog returns to its vomit, 
so does a man who continues to return to the same sin. That's in Proverbs. But at the same time, are you truly actively trying to discipline yourself to not make the same mistakes, to not continuously repeat those bad habits that is not pleasing to God? And He can help you if you just ask for it. That's what we're learning about here. Just humble yourselves and ask for His help. And that's you drawing near to God and you doing that, you submitting to the fact that, God, I know I need you. I cannot overcome this without you. I need your help. He will help you. He will give you that peace. He will give you that discipline. He will restore you. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, this is something we see all too often in life. I really don't think that needs rehashing on you know what we just previously discussed just do right you know if you want to give constructive criticism that's one thing do it when that person is present and if you want to really mean more and see more of a change do it in a private setting with that individual you don't need to especially on a small matter you don't need to call them out on it in front of a group of peers to where now they feel embarrassed and now they have that resentment and that all could have been easily avoided. You know, if it's that person on your crew, you know, when you're in truck checkoffs or you don't even have to be like, hey, I need to talk to you outside. Well, that's just the same if you did that in front of everyone else because, oh, what's going on there? Why did so-and-so call so-and-so up to the beta? You, you see where this goes? It said in passing or whatnot, find that right appropriate moment and just say, hey, man, you might if I'll talk to you over something. Something I just noticed. I want to run by you. Yeah, sure. What's up? And you're like, hey, man, I just, it's all in your approach. It's all in how you approach the person. Depends on how that message is going to be received. So, again, that's just where you got to humble yourselves and draw near to God in that situation. God, I know this needs to be addressed. I don't necessarily know how to address it. But I know if I was receiving what a message that I need to give this person, how would I want it done to me? Probably wouldn't want it done in front of everybody. I also wouldn't want to broadcast in front of everybody that I want to talk to you privately about it. So let's let's find those measures and you'll get more productive outcomes from that. So again, who are you to judge your neighbor? Most of us have a hard time modeling the attitudes of submission and humility. These attitudes are essential to spiritual growth. However, as they show a willingness to be guided by God, Satan's pride in our adoption of it is opposed to God's plan for godly living. And as many of us know from experience, the way of pride and selfishness leads only to confusion and strife. True contentment comes only when we submit our lives to God and follow His plan. As we admit our failures and humbly seek to do God's will, we will find ourselves drawing close to God. 
As we draw close to God, he will renew our spiritual lives. Just a little excerpt of what chapter 4, 6 through 10 was meaning. Now this one is a, the last little segment of chapter 4 here. It's called Boasting About Tomorrow. And when you hear that, boasting about tomorrow, that's making plans for tomorrow. Even on the procrastinators, boy, do they love doing that, right? Like, I don't worry, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. Or, hey, you know, I just, I just need a down day. I just need, a, I need time to chill. I need that moment to myself. I need all day for that. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Again, this is also something you'll see, too, just keep in the back of your head when, before I read this paragraph. Those of you that like to, uh, you know, consume a little bit of that alcohol and do it in a heavy manner. And let's say you made plans for tomorrow, but tonight is tonight and I want to twist one off. And now all of a sudden you wake up and you're just absolutely groggy. You wake up late. You got the headache. You got all the worst hangovers imaginable, you know, symptoms of a hangover imaginable. And you don't even get to your promised plans of tomorrow because you put yourself in a state of recovery from poor decisions from the night before i'm guilty of that in the past so i can speak on this stuff and i've seen i've seen so many plans that i had made for tomorrow just ruined so think about that when we dive into this verse 13 now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city spend a year there Carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will lift and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So again, that goes back to the whole procrastination aspect. You know, we've just expected because I'm throwing out an age because it's my age. I'm 36 years old. So I've been on this planet for 36 years now. So you would think that would give me great confidence to understand that I can live to see tomorrow. Well, y'all... In the fire service, I know there's been countless calls that we can think of where we have ran and it was a fatality. You don't think those person, those people didn't have plans set aside for tomorrow too? Or, man, I can't wait for tomorrow come. It's this big deal. And then, bam, drunk driver hits them. They have a sudden cardiac arrest. Or they're at the lake and something happened and they drowned. I mean, there's just so many different ways, guys. And you... You just cannot take tomorrow for granted just because you've out-cheated death, which I don't even agree with. But God's going to call us home and he's ready to call us home. But again, you, you cannot take for granted the true value of today. You know, God blessed you to get up out of that bed. He blessed you with health to walk around. He blessed you with strength to move objects. He's Bless you with an appetite to eat food. He has blessed you with the breath of life. And you have from that time that you wake up till the time that you lay down and rest to make things happen. 
So just be mindful of that. It, it truly is a blessing. I can't stress that enough. And the, the more I read this, the more I see myself revisiting that, which just solidifies the fact that I'm very grateful for today. I'm very grateful for the lessons I've learned from yesterday and the 36 years worth of yesterdays I've had to make me who I am today. But I don't know what's going to happen in the next eight hours. I can hope that God will keep me safe. I can hope that, you know, with all this nasty weather going on around me right now, I can hope that God protects my house from a lightning strike, causes an attic fire. God, I seek for God's protection. And when I wake up, that's exactly what I do. You know, I've given examples of how my morning prayers are, and it's not just a repetitive habit. Those are sincere prayers that I really hope he protects me and my family for today. And that I hope that he blesses us with a tomorrow. So again, just get get better at that. Just get a little bit better at that. You know, hey, Friday comes around. Hey, let's go do this Friday. I said, yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's the Lord's will, let's make it happen Friday. That might sound odd if you start using that to your circle or whatnot, especially if it's a new phrase or a new habit you're trying to enforce. And they might call you out on it. Not in an angry manner, but what do you mean? I was like, well, guys, you know, think about it. You know, how many how many wrecks we've been on? How many of this have we been on? And, and all this promise tomorrow. So, yeah, if it's God's will, I'd love to do that. Well, okay. But in that simple act that you just did, you're honoring God. You're showing that you're submissive to His will. And that you hope for these things. And that you have faith that it'll come to life. But also you have the true understanding that God's going to fulfill His will that involves you. No matter how you feel about it. So that's what I took from that section right there. Down here. Finishing up on chapter four's kind of, again, the, the cliff notes. Many Christian communities are rendered ineffective by an attitude of self-righteous criticism. People become critical of anyone who doesn't measure up to their ideals of perfection. Well, you just you can find that in the comment section of any kind of social media platform right there. You can post one picture that has a great message around it, but they want to get fixed on one thing in particular. They don't even see the message. And then it starts a fight and a quarrel because all the keyboard warriors come out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to reread that. Many Christian communities are rendered ineffective by an attitude of self-righteous criticism. People become critical of anyone who doesn't measure up to their ideas of perfection. Some of us may have experienced this kind of destructive criticism. Kind of sucks, doesn't it? Some of us are also guilty of criticizing others. We need to behave with healthy humility. No one is perfect except God. Only he is in a position to judge others. You can revert back to Romans 14 verses 10 through 12 on that. In fact, let's go ahead and visit that right now. Stand by. As we get to the old book of love as they call it. 
Romans. Here we are. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. At times we may be tempted to point out the failures of others instead of looking critically at our own lives. But it isn't our primary responsibility to straighten out other people's lives. Ooh, that'll step on some toes. But it isn't our primary responsibility to straighten out other people's lives. Besides, the job of straightening out our own lives is more than enough to keep us busy, at least in the initial stages. If we spend our time pointing the finger at others, we will never make progress ourselves. That was well said. We need to focus on our own faults, including our tendency to criticize others. Again, I don't know what more you can say on that one, guys. Just goes to show that that whole talking about others, that whole gospel stuff where we think that we're so perfect that we have earned the right to point out the flaws of others. It's, uh, it's not what God wants us to be doing. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing if you're talking about skill sets or even on a moral and ethical note, okay? You, you got the dude. We know infidelity is no secret in the fire service, unfortunately. A lot, a lot of firemen actually take pride in that. It becomes a, a buzz topic to joke about or to make memes about or this or that, you know. And it's pretty sad. I wish it didn't exist. But there's a lot of things I wish didn't occur just because it stems from selfish ambition, covet, covetousness, activities. There's a lot that goes behind those motives but again just simply said just just worry about yourself worry about fixing yourself you don't have to give your opinion on everything you know if it's one thing if god truly lays it on your heart you know you see a brother who's engaged but he keeps talking about all these other chicks or whatever or shooting on a weekend out even though he's engaged he he brags about how he slept with this person or whatever the case is you know if I was in that situation hearing that the only thing I can think of that I would be able to productively do is you know just say why why are you proud about that man why why is that something you want to share at the kitchen table like you won the lottery or something of true joy to be, you know, bragging about in celebration? 
you know, and that would be one of those times to where I think that would be warranted. Because at least they'll know, one, where you stand, and two, that not everyone at that kitchen table actually is proud of that type of behavior. And little by little, making those stands and standing firmly in what you believe in, but delivering that opinion with humility and love, that might have been what that person needed. Maybe he's been around a bunch of you know, fraternity type guys his whole life, you know, single bachelors that just want to rack up, you know, sleep numbering partners. And he just never truly walked into genuine manhood, especially one that's honoring and pleasing to Christ. And you're his first encounter. And you just say, man, that's not cool. That's not what we do. You know, you're, you're better than that. That would be about the time where I think that'd be okay in a, a group setting especially if it's an intimate setting like just you and your crew at the firehouse but guys in a nutshell submit yourselves to god don't boast about tomorrow it's not promised to us and be humble in all that you do i know that word gets used a lot which i'm thankful for it's a great reminder every time it's shared but do your own homework and truly understand the the biblical context of humility and what that truly means when you hear that stay humble, be humble phrase pop up in your life. And it might be God just trying to tell you something. Guys, I hope you have a great week. I'm thankful for you guys for allowing me to even have this platform. I'm hopeful that this message resonated with at least one of y'all. To really make you just kind of reconsider actions. Maybe you found a way to better yourself without knowing it. And I just pray that God works wonders in your lives. Thank you again for tuning in. And I'll see you all next time.